but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We're here to worship you, to exalt you not ourselves, to meet with you. I just ask one more time for the physical strength. I'm tired a little bit, but I'm excited at the same time for the opportunity to preach this fourth time. Please help me uh, by your spirit to to be true, uh, to be uh, clear, uh, and for you to use your word uh, to reach your people. Wherever they're at, Lord, you have brought them here. Maybe you brought visitors, and we're so glad that you have because you, you love people, and you want to redeem them. And so just please, wherever people are at this morning, whether in overflow or in this room, or they've already been, just move in their hearts. Show them your greatness and your goodness in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts. And if you've been here before and you don't have a Bible, grab one, and you don't have one, grab one under the seat, because next week, if you don't have to bring your Bible, we're going to put you in the overflow. That's the rule. How do you like that? Just kidding. But bring your Bibles if you have one. And again, if you don't, there should be one in the seat under you. Just grab it. Take it home. It's a freebie uh, from us to you. The book of Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament, chapter 17. I had a kind of a flashback moment this week. I was in carpool, because carpool, Wednesday morning, I got carpool duty. So I'm opening the doors, and you know, little kids coming out of the book bag. Oh, that's sweet. And I hear this minivan pulls up, and I hear like music inside. It sounds like little kid music. Am I getting that sweet? You got little kids doing a little music before we go to school. And I open up the door, and I hear, Mama Mia, here I go again. I'm like, man, it's some Abba. Abba in the morning. Isn't that great? I'm thinking, come on, money, money, money. If you don't know that song, you need to go right today and purchase Abba's Greatest Hits. All right? But for me, I remember the first time I heard Abba. I was a teenager. My dad, back in the 80s, he puts in the, this, this tape, Abba's Greatest Hits, and I thought, this is the dumbest music I have ever heard in my entire life. This is, this is awful. I'm like, Dad, don't you have any Duran Duran? Don't you have any Journey? Little wheel in the sky? Don't stop believing? Come on. Right? Everyone loves that. Come on. You guys love that. Yeah, okay. But I thought my dad's music was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He listens to mine. He's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that's the way it is, isn't it? The older generation looks at the next generation like, oh, my goodness, these people are clueless. What are we going to do when we're 60? They're going to support us? Look what they do with their cuffs. For those in the 80s, remember we did that cool thing with the cuffs? That was awesome. <laughs> right? We should bring that back. But the older generation looks back to the younger like, this is, the, this is the, the dumbest thing I ever heard. The youngest generation think they don't know what they're talking about. This is the coolest thing. And then I look back at the 80s, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what were we thinking? Look at the hair. Look at Journey. They have this long hair. It looks like hairspray. And I'm like, what? Oh, man. Right? And it's just a cycle, and it just kind of works that way. Older generation looking down. Now that I'm 40, I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, my gracious. I'm, I've become my dad. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Justin Bieber is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. All right, this is, a, this is silly, right? It's just the way it is, okay? And it's just, it's just like everything else. It's like ties. Notice how ties right now, skinny ties are in. Y'all didn't invent those. Those are from the 80s, and they were from the 50s. And The ties just, as, they just get fatter. And then all of a sudden, they get so fat, you can't get any fatter, and they shrink down again. Boop. Okay, so, so eventually, we'll get back to that 60s tie, and it'll come back down again. And it's just, it's just gonna the way it's going to be. It's gonna, gonna, for the whole of eternity, the ties will get fatter and skinnier, all right? But here's what is clear. As culture kind of does cycles and everyone's thinking, here's what's clear. We live in a culture now that is post-Christian officially. It's just the way it is. Okay, and Barna and all these people have done the research. And here's just, just a little bit of the research here. Um, that the younger, the younger you are, the, the more probable that you are post-Christian, more secular. Okay, and, and here's the stats Barna put. This is a recent 
2014 study, and he had all these criteria, and you can go online and read it. But the elder generation, the guys who wear hipster glasses, all right, born in 45 or earlier, only one out of four of those is, is post-Christian, all right? You get into the peace-loving, fat-tie-wearing boomer generation, it's one out of three. You get into the greatest generation ever made, my generation, the generation of the 70s and 80s, all right? We're, two out of five of us are post-Christian, all right? And we still love Journey. And then you have the modern generation, 84 and after, one out of two of them is, is post-Christian. So what you see is, yeah, ties are getting fatter or skinnier, everyone's music is crazy, but the, the culture is shifting away from what historically our, Christian, our country, I wouldn't say our, our country, if you study the fathers of our country, they were deists, a lot of them, they weren't Christian, there was Christian ideals, but they weren't necessarily Christian, but we had a country that was founded on somewhat biblical principles, and we've, we've pulled away from that. Okay, we're, we're now the generation that, that is being brought up, they just think differently, it's just the way it is. And, and I'm not making a value judgment. It, it just, there's a different perspective. There's a different... You t- if you say Samson and Delilah 50 years ago, everyone knows who you're talking about. You say Samson and Delilah now, who, who's Samson? Who's Delilah, right? Who's King David? There's just, it's just the culture we live in. And so you need to understand that. And again, not a value judgment, just where we're living. I sent Matt and Brooksy down to Forsyth Park just to ask some questions of our, of our culture, just to see where people are at. And they interviewed a couple folks just to just ask basic questions. And again, this, the, the purpose was just to see where people are at or just questions, who is God and, and can you know God? And, and here's just some of the answers, and, and it's intriguing, and I love it this is, because this is where we're at, and so this, you need to see it. And so let me just kind of real quick, maybe in the end, button number 10. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> All right, here we go. Who is God? Uh, I believe he's like the Almighty. This could be God. This could be God. This could be God for me. Well, I mean, mankind have been pondering that for centuries. You know. Yes, but God is not a man. I will reiterate this information. You can have a personal relationship with the entity that is God, but God is neither male nor female. I don't know. I think that's a personal preference. I think there are some that are stricter than others. I think there are some that have a lot more rules and regulations. But I think everybody's entitled to whichever one they want. I think religion is like science. It doesn't actually explain anything. It just explains that we know how to explain something. So, yeah, it's all the same in the end. Because we're just using words to talk about it. It doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, I would, I, I'd say that's more of like a personal, I mean, hey, that's, that's someone's personal belief. It's very hard to change someone's, you know, whether they, whether somebody believes yeah. something or doesn't believe something, I'd say that's, a, you know, that's a personal belief. Yeah. Well, I look at it as the Father, which is Almighty God. Now, we may go through that street and go to that street go down this street or that street or whatever avenue, but essentially you're going to wind up to him. Jesus Christ is just like a name of a character, a name of a character in the story that I, you know, that a lot of people know about. I think the idea of God is a lot bigger than that. I think if you believe in God or in a source that's bigger than you or whatever, then you just, it's everywhere, it's in you, it's in everyone else. I don't know. I don't think you have to believe in a specific character for the story to get there. Awesome, right? So you just, just different perspectives on lots of different people, different demographics, different ages. And, and so there's going to be change in the people's worldviews. But here's the thing for us as Christians, for those who identify as a follower of Christ. What doesn't change is that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Tie sizes are going to change. Culture is going to change. Different people's perspective is going to change. We are still his witnesses. And here's the challenge for us. How do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we bridge the gap when the culture is moving away from what from historical Christianity would say? How do we bridge that gap? Because that's, it's getting wider and wider. It's getting cha- more challenging and more challenging. 
how can we relate to a culture that no longer has that, that foundation? That, that's a question we're going to ask and answer, hopefully, today as we look at Acts 17. Um, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul. He's going to go to a culture that's completely different than his. And he's going to interact, and he's going to, he's going to talk, and he's going to, he's going to move people towards Jesus. And we want to follow his model. And really, just kind of five big picture things. Not five imperatives, not five commands, but just five thoughts today for us as we move through our text that I want to kind of highlight as we move. If you haven't been here, here's kind of where we've been. We've worked through the book of Acts. We'll work through books of the Bible. And so Jesus, before he went back to heaven, he told his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. First 15, 20 years, it was all Jewish and all around Jerusalem area. And then they kind of spread out, and the Apostle Paul, who once was an opponent of Christianity, is now a follower of Jesus. He goes on a missionary journey into the regions of Galatia and modern-day Turkey, plants a bunch of churches, spends three years there, comes back. Then he says, oh, let's go back again. So he goes back again. This time he goes even further, and he's in modern-day Greece, and he's telling people about Jesus. And that's where we were last week. He was in a city called Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. And in Philippi, there was three new believers that we saw we saw a kind of power suit woman named Lydia, rich lady. We saw a slave girl who comes to faith. And then we saw a, a Roman jailer come to faith. All right? And that's where we've been. And today, Paul is going to go from, here's, here's, where's my laser? Not up there. So I'll use the other one, the backup. So he was in Philippi. Now he's going to this city called Thessalonica, modern day Greece. Okay? So let's jump into our text. Verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis or something, I haven't pronounced it right in any of the services, in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. It's a way of saying a lot of them. So as is normal for Paul, he goes right to the synagogue. He starts proclaiming he has a Jewish audience. And since he has a Jewish audience, what does he do? He opens the Jewish Old Testament and shows them that the Messiah had to suffer and die, which was not what they thought. They thought Messiah was going to deliver him from Rome and save the day and make him into this great place. He says, no, no, Messiah had to die. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at Psalm 22. He had to rise from the dead. And not only did he have to do this, I can tell you his name. It was Jesus of Nazareth. And he points people to them, to him. And the response is, some of them are persuaded. Some, underline that, circle it. Some of them are persuaded. And a, a great many of the Gentiles, the Greeks, and a lot of the leading women in the city come to faith. A few of the Jews, a lot of the Gentiles, and a lot of the ladies. All right? But as usual, <laughs> big shocker. Someone's not happy with the Apostle Paul. Wow, that's new, right? But the Jews were jealous. Never heard that before. Man, that's a surprise. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason. That's where they're crashing on Jason's couch, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason's received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king. And just start spreading rumors and being dramatic. They're, they're making this all messed up. Not really. All they did was take the Old Testament and show that Jesus was the Messiah. That's all they did. So they're being a little dramatic here. But they basically run them out of the city. They got to they escape at night, which is usual for them. And so then they go to the next city, which is called Berea. It's right here. 60 miles from Thessalonica to Berea, okay? Little four-day journey down the road. And what I want you to see is I wanted you to contrast the response of the, of the people in Thessalonica from Berea. All right? Let's look what happens. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Same thing they always do, right? Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul comes down. It's the same exact audience. Jewish audience, Old Testament, same background, same everything, probably the same sermon. And this group says, all right, I hear you. But you know what? Apostle Paul, Apostle Schmall, I'm going to check you out, Bubba. And so they examine, right? It's a judicial word in the Greek text. It's, it actually is kind of right out of the law courts. It's CSI Berea. 
right? It's Matlock. It's Perry Mason. It's Matlock and his seersucker saying, I'm going to check you out, mama. Mm. Apostle Paul Small. And they go back to the scripture, and they read, and they're like, okay, I see that. Oh, yeah, I see that too. All right, you're on, you're on par. And many of them, underline the word many, some in Thessalonica, many of them believe with a, not a few Greek women of the high standing as well as men. So you have in Thessalonica, a few of the Jews, lots of Gentiles, lots of women. In, in Berea, lots of Jews, lots of Gentiles, lots of women. What's the difference? Because on the surface, you ask them all the same question, they're going to respond, do you love the Old Testament, Thessalonians? Love it. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Haggai, Prophets, woo, love it. Do you love it, Brad? Love it. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, love it. They're both going to say they love God, they love the Old Testament, but what's the difference? When it comes down to it, when you just boil it all down, there's a difference in authority. One group when Paul says, Jesus had to do this, Jesus, they check their authority. They say, yep, you're right. The other group said, when Jesus had to do this, I don't care because you have more people than us and we don't like you. That's where it comes down to. And it's all about authority. Where's the authority? And here's the challenge for us. Culture is changing. Got it. Ties are changing. Got it. Abba's no longer cool. Wrong. <laughs> but... What do we do? Do we change? If the culture's changing, should we change the message then? Right? Because if it's not, if it's not hip anymore, if it's not cool, should we change it? And here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. No, I don't want to suggest. I want to tell you that the, that is the exact opposite of what we do. That if we're going to bridge the gap, the first thing we got to grasp, and if you fall asleep in five minutes and get nothing else, then pay attention to this. The message stays the same. Now, the methods may change. I'm not wearing a tunic. Ethan's not playing a liar, right? But the message of the gospel stays the same. We got a choice. Where is our authority? We can be like the Bereans and say, here it is, or we can see the Thessalonians. Who is the ultimate authority for the Thessalonians? They are. They are they're the authority. We say what goes. It doesn't matter what this says. We say. And here's what we, here's what, and if you're visiting and you're here and you need, you're like, what is this Christianity? I don't know. Here's, here's the thing. For us, scripture is the authority. Why? Because it reveals the heart of who God is, what he has done, how he feels about us, what he is like. And it shows us his mind and his heart. It's what it is. It's his story about what he is doing and how he has rescued man. And, and we believe that he is our creator, that he is our designer, that we have value because we are made in his image. Because the scriptures teach it. And since he is the designer, I'm going to listen to the designer on what he says about the design. Right? Because he knows best and I don't. And look at it this way. Some of you ladies, you're going to go home this afternoon. Your husband's going to watch some sports. And you're going to hear him from the other room. Make the putt. Three feet putt. You can't make it. I can go down a putt putt and make that putt. Come on. What's up with you? Professional golfers. Or you're going to be at the football game. Brady, throw the ball. He's open. Throw the ball. Can, can you not see that he's open? Come on, get the play in. Make the shot. Make the three throw. Hit the ball. It's just a 95 mile an hour fastball. I could do it. You couldn't do it because you're on the couch, your waist five inches too big, eating potato chips. If you could do it, you'd be doing it. All right? That's the reality. I don't care you, if you made the varsity team. No one cares. <laughs> Uncle Rico, we don't care. Okay? 82. All right? The reality is this, Tom Brady is a Hall of Fame quarterback, as much as I hate it, and you should hate it too if you're a Christian, <laughs> okay, Tom, see, I see in the back, we got pagans in the back, okay, that's all right, the Eagles are still, the, no, they haven't, they're not the best, I know, I know, he's the expert, I'm not, you put me under the huddle, it doesn't go well for me, or the team, it goes very bad, why, because he's the expert. How much more, if God is the designer, is he the expert? So who am I to say, well, I know better. I'm the captain of my soul. Well, you can do that. But in the end, when you're the authority, here, here's the thing. We were not created to be gods. We can't carry that weight. Only one can. The one that's omnipotent, the one that's omniscient, he can carry the weight of being God. 
Because in the end, whether you're, whatever the authority, whatever the pursuit, there'll be a temporary joy, yes, and there'll be emptiness eventually. There'll be, there'll be anger. These are some, these Thessalonians, they are some angry dudes. I mean, they're so mad they can't find Paul and Silas. Well, we got to beat someone, so let's beat Jason. Urgh. And they are so mad when Paul and, and, and Silas go down the road 60 miles, they are so angry, they get on their camel and they follow them. How mad do you have to be? To get on a camel and try four and a half days just to yell at somebody. That's anger. That's the blame game. They're doing this. It's all. That's what happens. When you pursue yourself, you, you're always, when you end up empty, you're going you're gonna to blame someone else. You are. I see it in my kids. Six-year-old, nine-year-old. I tell them this week, do not do this. Yes, daddy. Got it. Come home that night from work. Did it. Put one in one room, put one in the other. Get on this one. All right, six-year-old, tell me what happened. He keeps putting ideas in my head. <laughs> okay, got it. Go over to the nine-year-old. Tell me about it. What happened? He wanted me to do it. Right? The reality is this. There's a little bit of joy when we call the shots. But in the end, we're just, oh, it's his fault. It's his fault. Because you're not married to carry the weight of God. We make lousy gods. And the truth is, when, when God's people are under God's word and put themselves under the authority of God's word, they flourish. Not financially or physically necessarily, but there's a flourishing because the word of God is sweet and it is true. And it is good, as the psalmist says. And if you want to prove positive from the text, look at the ladies in the text. These power women, these leading ladies, three groups of them are flourishing. Thessalonica, not, men, not a few of the leading women are attracted to the gospel. In Berea, a, a bunch of these ladies come to faith. In Philippi, this power suit business Wall Street girl, Lydia, comes to faith. What is it about the gospel that brings these women in? Because it brings them to their rightful place of distinction and honor. In a culture which devalues women and throws them to the side and says, you're less important than men. The gospel says, no, no, you are equal with men, made in the image of God. Yes, there's a distinction in the family and in the church and all these things for your good and for his glory. But you are equal with them. You have value. You have gifts and talents that God has created you in his image. And they're attracted to the word because they flourish. And when God's people are under the word of God, they flourish. Why? Because it's about him. And we see his goodness and his grace and his glory and his power and how he loves us. That's what the scripture is about. Don't think the Bible is about you. Yes, our story we're in the, and the story of what God is doing, but it's ultimately what God is doing from Genesis 1, from creation to the fall in chapter 3, all the way to the end, it's about what God is doing in redeeming man to himself. It's his story. We're just finding our little place in his story. When we see that, we flourish. And there's a I know the temptation, and I've heard all the arguments, and, and it and, and logically, maybe it makes sense. Well, we should just soften the message of Jesus. And, 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 and yeah, we don't really need to teach the Bible. And if we do that, more people will come. And, and naturally, that makes sense, right? We'll be just more whatever and inclusive. Let me tell you why that doesn't happen. I, I, don't, I don't even need the scripture. I can just look at church history. 200 years ago, England was a Christian nation, the greatest missionary sending nation, all these great churches and preachers. Today, less than 1% evangelical. What happened? They just started saying, well, you know, we don't need to teach the Bible anymore. Just kind of whatever. Just soften it. I, in this country alone, let me just give you some statistics. I mean, statistics are what they are, but these, are, these, these speak loudly. These are the last 15 years. Three major denominations that have softened their views on Scripture and what it says. All right? Every single one of them. For instance, the Episcopal Church of America from 02 to 2012, they, in 02, they made a formal stance, ah, Jesus is not the only way, I'll, you know, all these little, whatever, it doesn't matter what you believe kind of thing. Attendance in 10 years, from 02 to 2012, 25% down. Baptisms, 40% down. Marriages, 45% down in 10 years. And that was five years ago, almost. Right? The, one of the mainline Presbyterian denominations, Presbyterian USA, from 06 to 2012, 25% down, they've softened their stance on Scripture. The largest Lutheran denomination, what happened is a bunch of, there's a bunch of mini Lutheran denominations. They all combined into the ECL, ELCA, which is Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And it became the biggest Lutheran denomination, top five denomination in the country. 
since 2009, they have lost 600,000. Just from 2009 to 2012, for 2012, they lost 600,000 members. In less than 20 years, that church is no mas. All because they just lightened their stance on whatever, and it doesn't matter. And why, why, is it, why does it happen? Because when you, when you take your authority away, you take the power of God away, and the Spirit of God says, okay, I'm out. Right? I'm out. You, you, don't, you don't believe what I have to say? Then why do I need to be there? Thy, thy, the word of God is still a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It still is. It was for David. It still is for us. Jesus said, my sheep, my, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. The sheep of Jesus still listen to him. They still hear him. He still speaks. And we still flourish under his word. And I, you know, and I challenge you. A lot of preachers won't tell you. You examine the scriptures, and if I'm saying something wrong, then you tell me. That's why I tell you to read ahead. Read ahead next week. We're doing 18 to 19. I know I was telling you to do 18 this week, but God changed the sermon on Tuesday. Sorry. Can't help it. So next week, 18 to 19. But you examine, and if I'm wrong, then fire me, because it's right there. It's not written in like some secret code. There's no Bible code. It's right there. Examine it for yourself. And here's what we do as Christians. This is what we do. When we're going this way and the Bible says none of this is wrong, we change ourselves. We don't change the scripture. All right? So you got this, you're this oh, it's this addiction issue. It's no big deal. I'm just gonna, I just keep, I'll keep so into that. No. You're going to reap that if you, if you don't deal with it. We turn. We turn. You say, oh, I just, I don't feel, that's the kind of key words now. I don't feel like being married to him anymore. I don't feel like doing that. If I did everything I felt like doing, I would be in jail. And so would you. Because I would take an M60 up and down Duran at 5 o'clock and just have a day. Get out of my way. Do you know how to drive? Right? I wouldn't have children. They'd be shipped off to the Caribbean somewhere. (laughs) If I said what I felt sometimes, did what I felt, no. We align what what scripture says, what, what we feel, and say, oh, I feel this, but this is what scripture says, so I do this, even if I don't feel like it, right? That's what we do, because we follow Jesus, right? Is that difficult? Yes, but that's got to be the place we start, and everything else we talk about, you want to bridge the gap, you start with the message of Jesus, and it doesn't change, all right? And so that's Paul, and that's the Bereans, and we want to be like the Bereans, and so what happens is Paul leaves uh, Berea because the Thessalonian boys come down, the grumpies, and they yell at them, and they get them out of town. He leaves Silas and Timothy actually there, but he goes to Athens, and here's how he does it. He goes on a boat. He doesn't walk this time. He gets on a boat, comes down into Athens, and this is where he's at, and he's waiting for these guys to come. And while he's there, though, verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he's waiting for his boys. But he's just looking around, and, and history says that there was about 10,000 folks in Athens at the time. There was 30,000 idols. It's easier to find an idol than a man in Athens. That's what it used to say. And he's just looking around at all these gods and these carved images, and he's provoked. He's moved in spirit. He's just, it just brings him down. There's a holy discontentment just as he looks around. I had the opportunity last week, a guy that leads a ministry in town that we support and then we help a little bit. He, he called me up and said, hey, you want to get lunch? I'd love to hang out with you for a little bit. Oh, don't jump yet. You guys up there are too, too early. Like, and welcome to Community Bible Church, by the way. Um, so I go out with this guy for lunch and uh, we hang out. And he, he asked me, he calls me, he said, hey, wh- where do you want to go? And I said, where's your office? He said, well, I'm at uh, Southside. I said, man, there's a great sushi joint right around the corner. From your deal. He's like, you know, Bill, he said, I just, I'm just not there with sushi yet. I was thinking, we didn't just invent it last week. I mean, it's been around for a while, but all right, I got you. I feel you. You're not a sushi guy, okay? Well, you, you, make, the, you make the call, man. Your office, your place. So we go, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, there's a great barbecue joint around the corner, and there's a great, oh, there's a great me- Mexican place. There's a great burger, and there's a great pizza joint. I got them all, because we know all, you know, the staff, we study where the good restaurants are as, as in town. And so I'm thinking, okay, we'll hit one of those. He said, I get in there, meet him for the first thing. He says, how do you feel about chilies? Now, Disclaimer, step outside the sermon. If you work at Chili's, if you own a Chili's, if Chili's is your favorite restaurant, Jesus loves you and so do I, okay? 
all right? And it's not bad food, and my kids love it, and it's great, all right? But don't send me an email, all right? Back into the sermon. I'm thinking, <laughs> chilies? Chilies. I got La Napolera right there. Great Mexican buffet. I got San Fi Barbecue. San Fi Barbecue right down the street. I got burger. I got pizza. Chili's. So we go to Chili's. All right. And my soul is provoked for this man. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, he doesn't know what he's missing. He's been eating chilies when he could be having tangerine. He's in eating chilies when he could be at San Fi Barbecue. And that's a little bit ultimately what Paul is seeing. He says, wait. These guys, they have all these gods. And they, they don't know the joy of knowing the one true God. They don't know, they're, they're searching for significance in this, that, and the other, and all these things, and worshiping. And they don't know that they can have joy in Jesus. They're eating chilies. And they could be having so much more. And, and he's provoked. And he's moved. Because he cares. And, and that's, that's the next thing. Look, if you're going to bridge a gap from a culture that's not like you, there has to be a concern and a care about people. And I'm not talking about as a project, and I'm not talking about a knot your belt. I'm talking about people made in God's image who he cares for. And if, and if you have no concern for people, then you probably are eating at Chili's too. And you need to start eating out where they have real food with real ingredients that aren't processed. You, you, need, you need to go back to point one, and as you delight in the Lord and you spend time with him, his heart for people is going to be your heart, and you're not going to be satisfied with chilies anymore. You're going to be like, there's so much more out there. And you need to do it. Because if you don't care about people, then you don't have the heart of God. Right? Because God cares. And I'm telling you, in my early Christianity... I just had this view where my job was just to invite people to church. And so I had these neighbors, and all I did was invite them to church. Every time I saw them, invite them to church, invite them to church. I didn't care about them, didn't talk to them about it. Just invite, invite, invite. They never came. And I wouldn't have either because I was a jerk. All I cared was about it was inviting them to church, get the knots in the belt. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, invite your friends. Bring your friends. Great. We love it. We want everyone to come. But if we don't really genuinely concern about people... There's not a love, then we're missing out what God wants, and we'll never bridge the gap. Never. Right? And so Paul, man, that's where his heart is. In verse 17, and so he's going to be with him. He's not going to wait for his buddy. He's like, you guys will just have to find me because I'm going to be busy. So verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. He's going everywhere people are. He's in the synagogue with the Jews. He's in the marketplace with the Gentiles, with them. And verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who converse with him also. And so he's dealing with two different philosophies here. This is kind of the main philosophies of the day, but they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. You're talking Pentecostal and Presbyterian. I mean, it's way different. The Epicureans, they didn't believe necessarily in God. They kind of didn't know. They're agnostic. If there was a God, they didn't believe that he cared. So it was just kind of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That was their philosophy. The Stoics were like, no, no, no. There's God. In fact, there's all sorts of gods. Everything is God. The tree is God. The, the, the park bench is God. The, the, everything is God. And so the, it's all about duty and responsibility and being a good person and logic because everything is God. Two opposite ends. And they're both listening to Paul and they're like, what does this babbler wish to say? That's not a nice, that's, he's not, they're not saying nice things. The literal, the Greek is a, a seed picker. Not a nose picker, a seed picker, all right? But you ever see that, you ever go to Walmart and you see that bird and you're like, that is the ugliest bird I've ever seen. It's kind of scraggly and got his yellow eye, like, ah, it's eating like crumbs. You know the bird I'm talking about? Somebody told me the name of it earlier. I think it's a crackle or something. That fits, right? But that's what they're calling him, basically, the Walmart bird that eats French fries, that's what they're saying, okay? What is this, this, this seed picker talking about? This uneducated, unsophisticated guy. What is he talking about? And, and others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Oropagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. 
Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They love philosophy and new face. So they're like, hey, bring the seed picker in. Let's hear what he's got to say. So they take him to the Oropagus. Here's the Oropagus. You can go there today. All right? This is Mars Hill, as they call it. This was the Harvard of the day. This is where you came to talk philosophy and education. And here's the thing. In walks Paul, who is the least impressive person you've ever seen. In fact, extra biblical uh, accounts of what Paul looked like, here's a description. He was a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were far apart. He had large eyes. His eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. So you got a short dude who's bald with big eyes. He's bow-legged, and he's got a unibrow. And in he walks to the Harvard of the day, right, to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth. And they're thinking, who is this seed picker? But here's what I love about Paul. He goes where the people are. He's in the synagogue because there's people. He's in the market because there's people. He's in the Oropagus because there's people. Even though they're different, even though the culture is completely out there. And here's the next thing for us. If you want to engage a culture and bridge a gap, you got to engage them by going to them. You got to be with people. Right? This is why I say get on the alumni board, get on the rotary, go coach the soccer team, go down to the park, go exercise, go walk. You can't just hide off a scary world. You'll be with people. And when you're there, get on their level. I can, as a dad, look down at my six-year-old and say, what are you doing? This is wrong with you. And I'm not much taller than them, but I'm still taller than them. But it's much more effective when I get down and say, hey, buddy, tell me about it. See, this is, this is effective. This is not. And sometimes this is the stance we take. I can't believe they believe that. Oh, it's a crazy world. What are they thinking? Because so you got three responses to people with different views. And all those people that were on the screen, they had a little bit different views, right? you got three responses. You can, you can look down on them and say, oh, I can't believe they think that. Who taught them that? That's crazy. Or you could ignore them and be like, oh, they'll, they'll get it eventually. They'll grow up and they won't like Abba anymore and it'll be fine. Or you can engage and say, hey. I would love to grab every single one of those people, especially the, the guy who was funny. He's like, I don't know. I mean, I love that. I'm like, great. But I just love to grab him and say, tell me about, okay, great answer. Why do you think that? I want to hear. Because they, they came to that idea from somewhere, just like I did. So how, where did you come from that? I want to talk. I want to interact, right? And, and that's not always easy. It's not always easy for me. Look, I'm an, you, many of you think, oh, you must be this extroverted person. I'm not. I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I mean, you see me out there in the week, I'm in the corner of a coffee shop, I got my scully on, I got my earphones on, and I'm down, and I'm looking, I'm studying, and people walk by, oh, is that a Bible? Yeah, it's a Bible. <laughs> what you reading? Do we really got to do this right now? I mean, I'm not the guy in the plane that starts talking to everybody. I'm the guy in the plane that, like, sits in the corner. So that's not me, but God is challenging me in this area to engage. That's what we're called to do. And so Paul does. And this is the brilliance in what he does. Look, look, look at how he speaks to these people. And it's not necessarily the content, but how he gets there that, that we need to pay attention to. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the middle with his bow legs of the Oropagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now stop right there. What has he done? Has he gotten up in their grill? I can't believe y'all are worshiping these 30,000 gods. This is ridiculous. You guys are morons. What are you, crazy? How smart can you be? Is that where he goes? He says, look, I was walking in your city. Beautiful city, by the way. Beautiful. And I saw a grave, an altar, and it said to the unknown God, let me tell you about that God. He takes something from their culture, affirms it, and he's going to move towards them. And he does it even more in 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath. He has, he has gotten both groups on his side now, And if you didn't realize that. The Epicureans, they think God doesn't need us, God doesn't want us, he doesn't care. He says, you know what? God doesn't live in temples by human hands. He's not served. And the Epicureans are like, that's right. That bow-legged unibrow guy, he knows what he's talking about. Uh-huh. Right? And then he goes, he says, and he gives life to all mankind in breath. And the Stoics are like, that's right. God is the source of everything. He's good. He's true. Uh-huh. That's great. He's got both groups eating at his hand right now. Right? And he's used their culture to do it. 
And then he points, verse 26, and he made one. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. And here's what he does. It should be in a kind of a different quotation in your scripture, in your Bible, and that's a reason, because he's quoting a poem, but not a poem from the Old Testament. He's going to quote two poems. He's going to quote two of their writers, a guy named Epimenides and a guy named Erastus. And so he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's from Epimenides. And even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. That's Erastus. He has not quoted Genesis or Psalms or Proverbs or Isaiah. He quotes their poems to make his point that there's a God who was created. And then he sums it up and he points to Jesus, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to us all how? By raising him from the dead. He said there's going to be a time of judgment by this one who was raised from the dead, and we're going to hitch our wagon to him because he came back from the dead and no one's ever done that. All right? What has he done? It's brilliant. He's taking their culture. He's found trace elements of truth in their writings and in their culture. And he said, hey, you guys got part of the deal? Let me fill in the blanks. Let me fill in the blanks of what's going on here. And he does it. He points to Christ. He points to Christ. And we ha- look, we have the opportunity, church, to do the same thing. That God has left trace elements of himself Everywhere. You don't have to go to necessarily, I'm not saying don't go, but don't, you don't have to go to Psalms, Proverbs always. You can use those things which God has made because Romans 1 says that his creation speaks of him. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. And so just the, the idea of we live in a town where creativity is huge, where does that creativity come from? Why can some of you sing and some of you can't? Why is it that I take a picture and it's horrible, the same person with the same camera in the same spot takes a picture, and it's gorgeous. Why can some of you draw, and some of you it looks like stick figures? Why is that? Because the ultimate designer and creator and inventor, you've been made in his image. That's why. Why is it that all of us have some sort of sense of justice and of right and wrong? I mean, I'd say the word Auschwitz. This week, 70 anniversary of German of the uh, of the Russians finding the German uh, camp Auschwitz. That's not a good word all over the world. Why? Why is it seen as evil? Because for us it's evil, but for some it was good, wasn't it? For the Nazis it was a good thing. Well, who's right? There's a sense of right and wrong that we all have. Why? Because we've been made in the image of a God who has a right and a wrong. How about this? How about entertainment? Look at, just look generally at entertainment. Why is there constantly this, this constant theme in almost everything we see or read or movies of redemption? Look at Disney. Disney's made a bazillion dollars over the theme of redemption. It always starts out that the kingdom's a mess, right? There's a big problem, and you got to send in the deer or the lion or the guy on a horse and, it, and he's got to fix it, the mermaid, whatever it is. He's got to fix it, and in the end, everybody lives happily ever after, right? You get the lands of pain, and, uh, and then Simba comes back, and he's the real king, and woo, and everything happily ever after. And it's not just in Disney. The greatest movies ever, Star Wars. Darth Vader, the promised one, ends up saving and redeeming in the end. Superman, who comes from a faraway planet, is the good guy who saves the day. It's a wonderful life. Everything falls apart, and then there's redemption because of George. It's just, it's a constant theme. Why is that? We see that theme, unbroken, whatever it is, the constant theme of redemption. It, could it be that, that God has written it in our hearts, and so we constantly see it? And these are just trace elements of God's grace that we can just pick up and say, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? Right? But, but the idea is, is knowing your culture. If Paul was alive today, he wouldn't be quoting Erastus or Epimenides. He'd be quoting Katniss Everdeen. 
right? He, he'd have an Instagram. Look at me on Mars Hill, you know? He, he would be engaged with the culture so that he could reach the culture, right? He wouldn't have an AOL account, all right? <laughs> You've gotten mail. That would not be him. He'd have a Gmail or something, right? He wouldn't be surfing MySpace, okay? The idea, though, and this is why, and, and this is why often, and I know some of you are like, oh, why is Billy's? This is why I'll talk about sports, and we'll joke about Abba and all these things. Why? Because it's the common language for most of us. The scripture originally was written, not in the King James, but in the Koine Greek, the common Greek, the common language of the day, so that everyone could understand it. And Paul, and Jesus was an expert at this, too. Jesus would get to the level of people where the, he's talking about the Good Samaritan, he's talking about bread, he's talking about sheep, he's talking about coins, he's talking about treasure. These are all in their world, water. He, he gets in the world. And what you need to do is just need to know your culture. You can know your culture without being part of it in the sinful part. You can. You don't need to go read Fifty Shades of Grey to know the culture, but you can know what's out there. Right? And you need to be a student. And as a student, two things. Number one, you need to listen. Some of our temptation, we want to go to all, all those people in the video and say, no, no, no. Here, let me correct you. Without listening. And listening gives you a right to speak. Too often, we are quick to speak, slow to hear. I've learned this. We all do. You listen. That's interesting. Where did you come to that perspective? Okay. I get it. I hear that now. What I love about this, this week, two people have come up to me already. Last week, we were talking about praying for an open door for the word. Two people have had great interactions with those of the Muslim faith this week. And I was so proud of both of them because neither of them got in a big debate and fight and they're not yelling and they're like, oh, they're just listening. And then they're saying, okay, this is what we believe as Christians. And they're sharing what they believe. No argument. And there's a chance for them to go back now because they weren't arrogant and pompous and have dialogue. That's what we're talking about. Listen. And here's another, here's another thing as you, as you study the culture and know it, is don't put yourself above it. Because guess what? The only difference between you and everyone else is that God opened your eyes to your need for a Savior, period. That's, that's Christianity. You didn't do anything that God showed you your need for him and opened your eyes. And I love what the Apostle Paul does five times in this sermon towards the end. He identifies, he says, we ought not to do this, and, and this is what God did for us, and we, 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 five times. It's a, he puts himself there. He's not above. Don't put yourself above. You're, you're part of this deal. You've just been rescued by God. You don't have to compromise the truth. He has not compromised anything. He has not compromised the origin of life. He has pointed, no, 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 Epicureans, there is a God. He is the creator. No, 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 Stoics, the purpose of life is not duty. Purpose is not celebration. It's to know God and to seek him. Because there will be a judgment based on the one who was resurrected. He has pointed to Christ, he has corrected their false views, and he has done it in a way that has used their culture and affirmed them so that they hear truth. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Right? And that's where we need to be. Right? You are broken, I am broken. And I have told you a thousand times, and I'm going to keep telling it until you either fire me or I retire. Do not exalt the man on the stage ever. Because I need a savior as much, if not more, than any of y'all. There's times I have get down. I mean, after a sermon, after a Sunday is typically the worst time for me. I got all these little voices. That was awful, and I can't believe you said that. And then this, you should have done this, and all that. Criticizing myself. Always. Sunday mornings, you probably, many of you probably think, oh, he's probably so excited to come to church. Most times I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Right? There's times I yell at the kids. There's times I'm impatient with my wife. I, my point is, I need a savior, just like you do. So please exalt Christ and not me. And, and that's where we need to be with the world. Hey, it's not me. I'm just, I, I believe Jesus saved me from my sins, period. And then when we do that, we can leave the results to him. That's the last thing. That's what Paul does. He doesn't go out there and try to be me. He, he just tells it how it is. He points them to Christ. And then response, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Okay, you're going to get that response. Some laugh, silly Christian. I can't believe you believe that. All right, happened to Paul. But others said, we will hear about this again. There's going to be people like, okay, I want to hear more about this. Not ready now, but I want to hear more. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined and believed. Among who were Dionysus and Aeropagate and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So some mocked, some said, okay, and some listened. See, here's the thing. Conversion, life change. Growth, those are God things. You can't do them anyway, so leave them to God. 
Your job, be a witness. Under the scripture, engage with people, loving people where they're at, praying for them, and leave the results to God. Here's your homework. Here's what I want you to do as a church. Next two, three weeks, go have a conversation with someone that's different than you. Generationally, you know, demographically, whatever it is. In this town, it's real easy. Just go to Forsyth. And they say, hey, here, if you really got guts, go to another faith and go to one of their services. Okay? In seminary, my first semester in intro to theology, my professor said, you got to go to another faith service. You can't be, if you're Presbyterian, you can't go to Pentecostal. That's too close. You got to go a whole other faith. So I went to the Harry Krishna Temple. Fascinating. I'm a meditarian. They're vegetarians. I'm wearing jeans. They're wearing Luke Skywalker Jedi robes. It was awesome. But I just had a great conversation with a guy. Like, okay, tell me how you got to this point. Because he was a Catholic from Seattle or something. I'm like, this is an interesting transition. Tell me about it. Great conversation. Go, just have a conversation. Because our, our tendency is to go gravitate towards people that are like us, right? So, to push against that. And go have a conversation, right? And hear where they're coming from. And engage. That's what we're called. And here's why. This is why. Because Jesus did it for us. If you're, if you're here, you're visiting, or, and you're not a Christian, and you're like, I, don't, I still don't get this Christianity. Here's, the, here's Christianity in a nutshell. Every other religion in the world, you can, you can sum them down to, we try to get to God. Somehow, right? Be good. Say a prayer. Follow some rules. Do whatever. Make a trip. Give some money. Somehow you get to God. That's every other religion in the world if you boil them all down. Christianity says you couldn't get to God, so God comes to us. Right? You couldn't do anything to get to him, so what does he do? He incarnates himself. He, he always existed, but he becomes a man. Who, he was different than us, and he becomes one of us in Bethlehem. He lives the perfect life that you and I could never live. He dies as your substitute because the holy God wants to be with us, but he cannot because he's so holy. So he has to make a substitute for us. Jesus dies on a cross as a perfect substitute for us. He comes out of the grave. And if he doesn't come out of the grave, there's no Christianity, by the way. And that's why Paul says, hey, how do I know there's going to be a judgment? Because he came out of the grave. You disprove the resurrection, you disprove Christianity. No one's been able to disprove it yet, 2,000 years later. All he has to do is produce a body. All right, produce a body. Jesus, Jesus is dead. They never could do it. Why? Because he's alive. And because he's alive, we hitch our wagon to him and what he has said. Because he's the only one that's ever come back and said, this is what I want you to do. We listen to him because he's the authority. But he's done it all. What is this Christian deal? Christianity is broken people forgiven because of what Jesus has done, simply believing in him. And if you have questions, you come grab me, fill out a Connect card, me or one of the staff. We'll go grab a cup of coffee. We'll get sushi. We will not go to Chili's unless you want to and with some potato skins. Whatever you want. But we, we'd love to start that engagement. And if you are here and you are a Christian, God's called you to engage, to be his witness, because he is alive. And that's what we're going to celebrate. And that's what we're going to sing about. Got a couple songs that are about the resurrection. That is our hope. And so let me pray. You guys can stand and we will sing about our resurrected Savior. And then we'll go. Father, you are gracious to send us a son, a Savior who's delivered us for as your church just let us be your witnesses let us be like you i thank you for the privilege of gathering with your people lord if someone here is not a christian i am even i'm just so glad they're here and i pray that they would feel welcome and that they would be drawn to you and if they have questions and we would love to answer and just open their hearts to you whatever it is lord but as your people now we want to sing and we want to worship and we want to celebrate and to so help us to do so that you are honored in christ's name i pray